Greetings, and welcome to Blue Stocking, the podcast for people who love to learn but don't always have time to study. I'm your host, Rory Roberts, and today it is my delight and honor to tell you that I had the opportunity last week to interview best-selling author Catherine Arden. Now, you may recognize her name from a previous episode of Blue Stocking. She is the author of The Bear and the Nightingale, and her second book in the Winter Night trilogy, The Girl in the Girl in the Tower, was released this past week, and I just finished it this morning. It is beautiful and amazing, and I have so many thoughts, and I'm super excited for the next book to come out. There will be some links in the show notes. Uh, Book People in Austin, Texas, as of right now, still has signed copies of her books available. Um, Also, I will be posting an Amazon link if you would like to support the podcast by clicking through the Amazon link to purchase your books. I highly recommend. Um, She was so gracious to meet with me and is really such a fascinating young woman. Um, She's had quite an adventurous life. Um, I'm hoping that one of these days she writes a memoir because she's had some adventures. Um, She spoke about her time in Russia and France and Hawaii um, when she did her book signing the night before our interview. Um, And actually, it took uh, close to four years from starting to write The Bear and the Nightingale to first getting published. And I found that really um, reassuring for aspiring authors since uh, it to, to me, it at first appeared that she was just this wonderkind that appeared out of nowhere. But um, just like all successful people, she had to work hard to get to where she is. Um, and, and it's really encouraging to hear her story and to hear uh, her experiences. Uh, so without further ado, I am going to share that interview with you. I hope you will forgive me. There is some... Um, there are some issues with the sound quality because we were recording in a coffee shop. We were actually in uh, Coffee People, which is the small coffee shop attached to Book People. So there were people coming and going, and there are some times when there's some extraneous noise that can be distracting. But I hope you will stick with it because she has a lot of interesting things to say and it is just such a wonderful, interesting young woman. So without further ado... Enjoy, and thank you for listening to Blue Stocking. And may I just say again, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're you're, welcome. You're so gracious to meet with me. No worries. Trying not to fangirl, uh, but it's hard. (laughs) I'm I'm delighted, too. Like, when I have, like, time, I have have talking people, and, um, So cool. Yeah. Um, so, start with kids' questions? Yeah, yeah, Okay. Um... As you're writing your book, do you follow a strict plan of how it's going to be structured, or do you change the structure at all as you write? I have tried really hard to make a plan and execute the plan because it makes my editor less stressed, it makes my agent less stressed, Um, but I 
I, I really can't. I, I tend to, to start and then just see kind of where the story takes me. Generally, I know where I want to begin and where I'd like to end, and I have very little idea of what happens in the middle. Um, and I try to like you know make this plan, and I'll write an outline, um, and turn it in, and be like, here's my outline, I got this. And then I'll start writing and be like, I, no, mm, mm, can't do it that way, no, mm, and then my outline will be totally out the window. And then I'll, I'll turn in a draft, and my editor who edits the book, she'll be like, so this is great, but outline, I'm like, I, I changed it. <laughs> to change it. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, well, that's fine. Um, but so I guess every writer is different. Yeah. Um, sometimes there's like even like jokes about it. They call um, there's two kinds of writers: planners and pantsers. <laughs> and the planners like make a like a little like outline and follow mm -hmm. it, and pantsers just like fly by the seat of their pants. Um, I once heard Neil Gaiman talk, and he talked about writers being gardeners or architects. Mm -hmm. Some like people like build the house, like, like plan it out and like construct it like piece by piece, and some people just like walk the garden, like seeing what grows there and mm -hmm. like picking it, and, like putting it in their vase, you know. So um, so I don't personally plan. I try, but I really can't do it well. Um, some authors like plan meticulously. But um, yeah. I think whatever you're doing is working for you. So. It works for me. I mean, I guess the one thing is it requires like more rewriting. Like Girl in the Tower was rewritten, like I said, from scratch. Yeah. Um, about a year after I started. And if I were better at planning, I probably wouldn't have had to do that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's just like it's like it's how you there's yeah. how you work is like how you work too. I'll I'll be honest. Until last night, like I had no idea that you're like that your journey had mm -hmm. been such a long one like I thought you were just this wonder kid who came out and popped up <laughs> everyone everyone's got like a, a backstory yeah it seems like oh you just popped up now you are but it's like actually no you're kind of like kicking around for a while and, yeah but um well I think that would be really encouraging to like young writers who are just starting out mm -hmm. um to to know that like it doesn't happen overnight and you have to work hard so I mean, I've never met a writer who didn't work hard. I've met yeah. writers who had instant, um, instant amazing success, mm -hmm. um, but all of them worked hard. Yeah. Um, okay, so another question from the kids is, how do you start out making a living by writing? Um, well, the first year or two, you can't expect to make a living. Right. Because if you want to write fiction, you have to have written a novel mm -hmm. in, in its entirety before you can even think about selling it for money. Mm -hmm. um, for nonfiction, you can usually sell a book that's just a plan. Mm -hmm. um, you have like an outline and sample chapter and some information and pitch that to a publisher. And if they like the idea, they can buy it, give you money, and you can like write the book then. Mm -hmm. But for a novelist, which is what I am, you have to write the book. and that's the really hard part because you're working a job yeah. like you will be working in my case um, one reason I stuck to odd jobs um, and like minimum wage jobs in Hawaii is I was trying to do jobs that weren't mentally taxing mm -hmm. so I would have the mental energy at the end of the day to write um, but like John Grisham was a full-time attorney mm -hmm. all day and he wrote like between like three and five in the morning <laughs> 
you know, um, his first book. I can't even firm. imagine. Yeah, <laughs> no. And there's people who um, are full-time like parents who write in the evenings. Like, um, but but everyone write, wrote their first book while doing a job. Yeah. Unless you have like the good fortune to have family money, like to be supported. But other than that, like you're working. Yeah. Um, so once you have a manuscript, you have to find a literary agent. Um, and literary agents work on commission. You don't pay them directly. They earn a percentage of what you make. Um, and so to get an agent, you have to query them. You have to, like, take your finished book, and you write a letter saying, here's my book, here's me, here's my book is good, blah, 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 kind of short, and you send it to agents. <laughs> and um, if they like your query, they'll ask you to send their full, your full book, and they'll read it. And if they like your book, they'll offer to be your agent. Mm-hmm. Um, usually for a 10% commission or 15% commission. Um, and, and your agent is your agent is your most like personal, like long-standing publishing relationship. Like mm-hmm. ideally your agent is with you your entire career. Um, like they support you when you're frustrated, they like deal with problems, like they're very important relationships. That's one relationship that has to be like chosen carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one agent before I found my current agent who just, we weren't a good fit. She didn't like work in a way that I appreciated and it just didn't work out. So it's important to like have a good agent. Once you have one, the agent's job is to take your book and sell it to a publisher. Um, and they do it by like pitching it, like saying, here's this book about this, it's great, here's why, here's a copy. And the editor reads it at a publishing house. And if she likes it, she will go to her bosses and ask for money to buy it. Um, and if she can convince her bosses to offer money to buy it, she offers money, and they have a book contract. Um, and the money you get up front is called advanced money. It's, it's money advanced against eventual royalties. So, so they pay you up front, and then as your book sells, the idea is it earns back that money, and once it has, you get a royalty every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, many books don't earn out their royalty. Um, but your publisher makes money long before you do on a book sale. So even if you're not making royalty money, they're making money. Yeah. So I guess the short, it's just a long answer about like the, the mechanics of, of book publishing. The short answer is like, is you have to write a book. Mm-hmm. It has to be like finished, complete, polished, like good. And then you have to kind of put it out there and try to get agents, agents and editors interested yeah. in it. And oftentimes authors will have written two or three books that didn't sell before they send one that actually sells to a publisher. Um, I know, um, I I know authors have written like a dozen before they got one to sell to a publisher. Like it's just, um, it's a process, but you learn with each book. So that's true. Um, that's true. And I agree with what you said last night about you can see your own voice as a writer developing between the first and the mm-hmm. second book. Um, I'm not that far in the second book yet, yeah. but loving it so far. Oh, thank you. I love Colin Tower. It um, was such a <laughs> headache to write, so I have a special special place in my heart in that book. It's a headache like a teenager is a headache. Oh my god, it was, like, like, Vice Lisa in that book, mm-hmm. like, I love that character so much, but she makes some very questionable decisions in that book, like, like, she's so ready, fire, aim. Yeah. And, and that was semi-intentional, but also, like, 
it went a little further than I expected it to, but she's a teenager, yeah. and she's like in full rebellion mode. Yeah, and, and you, can't have, you can't have like a perfect character, you know, like you have to like... Oh my god, I get, I get very tired of teenage, like teenage warrior girls who are like, like... Infallible? Infallible, like mm -hmm. beautiful, but oh, I'm just a normal girl. I'm not that pretty. And then like like there's 18 men in the book, like all of them like madly in love with this like perfect blonde woman. Yep. And um and just like yeah, a little infallible. And I, I teenage girls like I love them. I was one, but like like they, they can make some questionable decisions for sure. Oh, yes. You know, like <laughs> yes. <laughs> I see it every day. Oh my god. Right? Uh so do you have any tips for writing believable characters? I mean, so characterization, and this is sort of a, a fringe view, but characterization is not accomplished by sitting there and saying, her long blonde hair blew gently in the breeze and her perfect blue eyelashes, you know, fluttered gently, you know, and her rosy cheeks were astonishing to all. Like, you don't do that to create a character. A character is created through actions, mm. what they do. What they do and also how other characters react to them mm -hmm. is what creates character. Those two things. And for me, the best way to create characters is through plot. Because a plot gives you chances for your character to perform actions that create their character. I.e., like, you don't know Voss Lisa's hot-headed because I tell you. You know she's hot-headed because she does hot-headed things with, like, depressing frequency. <laughs> right? Um... And, and, so, and so for me, the best way to create believable characters is to have characters in a story that shows their personalities. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to build your plot and your characters together. Like if your plot is like this romantic adventure, mm -hmm. it might be helpful to have your main character be somebody who's like a courageous romantic. Mm -hmm. You know, to, so that their decisions in the context of that plot make sense. Um, and the other good way is to have other characters' reactions to your main character, or other characters show show them. Mm -hmm. Like, um, there's a famous example um, in King Lear, which is kind of random. King Lear, like King Lear, the character is super annoying. Like he's unlikable. He's a jerk. He's mean to his daughters. He's domineering. He's pitiful. Like all these things. But. But the, th the three most sympathetic characters in the play, like Cordelia and um, Edgar and Oswald too, they love Lear. They love him so much. And they, they, they want to defend him. Passion, like, really risks her life. And, and it creates like a, a second degree sympathy for Lear because you ask yourself, why do these characters love him so much? Yeah. Even though he seems very unlovable. Um, and I think the dimension is created, um, not in Lear himself, who's kind of annoying, but in his, the other characters around him, like, like, attitudes towards him. Yeah. So. it's a really good point. Random example, but that's, that's a thing. It's a good example. <laughs> I, I mean, I always liked it, because, like, I, it's fun seeing someone like Shakespeare using, like, writing tricks to, mm -hmm. to create an effect. It's like peering behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I guess the other thing is, like, have characters have contradictory impulses. Ooh. Um, like, even the villains, like, have the villains have impulses that a normal person could sympathize with. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not just black and white. Like, Absolutely. These... Humans aren't. Like, you could have a, a character who wants to destroy the world, like, blah, ha, ha, fine. Mm -hmm. But, like, have him be torn. Have him mm -hmm. be in love. Have him, or her, I suppose, have her um, want to destroy the world for a reason that's, you know, okay. Like, say someone wants to wipe out civilization because civilization's doing a bad job and hurting the animals. Like, yeah. okay, like, that is a reason. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so give, give characters, like, contradictory motivations and impulses um, so it's not black and white. And that's true of, of the heroes and the villains. Like, have your heroes have, make mistakes and... And bad choices. And bad choices. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, genuinely bad choices, not just, like, oh, it's kind of a mistake, but not really, because my character's perfect. Like, no, like, like mistakes with fallout. Yeah, and, and consequences, yeah. Like Game of Thrones. Like, <laughs> I'm sure kids have watched. Yeah. Like, like, good characters make poor choices, mm -hmm. and it has consequences, and that makes for good storytelling. I have a kid who had this Game of Thrones t-shirt. Nice. Uh, and I asked him, you know, oh, what do you think of the show? And he's like, oh, my mom won't let me watch it. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, he was a freshman yeah. at the time, he's older yeah, now, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I just thought it was so funny. It's, it's mm -hmm. become so pervasive it in is. our culture. It is. Um, it is. Um, the first book especially was great. Like, I don't know if mm -hmm. kids are, like, crack the novels, but they are very good. They're, they're yeah. page turners. You have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're also, like, tomes, too. <laughs> for sure. Um, so, okay, let me ask you this. Um, you are a writer, and so many like good writers are also readers. Mm -hmm. um, what are some books that, like, especially like in your childhood, like in your formative years, that you loved? Um, and what are some of your favorites now? Ooh. Okay. When I was a kid, I loved Robin McKinley. Okay. Um, she wrote fairy tale retelling. She wrote one called Beauty about Beauty and the Beast. It was fantastic. Um, she wrote these two fantasy novels. Um, one of which won the Newbery in like the 84, I think, The Hero and the Crown. And then a sequel called The Blue Sword. It was a prequel, actually. No, it was a sequel. Prequel. I don't remember. Um, so there's two of them. She writes, she's a wonderful um, writer who, who writes this kind of like light feminist fantasy that I, I loved as a kid. I loved Tamora Pierce when I was a kid. I loved the Alana books. So many women my age grew up on those books and the, the Wild Mage books as well. Um, I just, I read everything she wrote. I, I love the Winding Circle books. Um, I was a huge, huge fan of Tamora Pierce. Um, I really enjoyed either adventure novels or like wilderness survival novels or historical fiction. Like I loved My Side of the Mountain mm -hmm. um, by Jean Grey George about a boy who goes and lives alone in the, Cat in the Catskills. Um, I loved Hatchet. Um, Peter Paulson about a guy who survives after his plane crashes. Um, I love Julia the Wolves, like, it's a wonderful book. A, a girl who um, lives the wolf pack in Alaska. So I loved books like that. Mm -hmm. And um, historical fiction too. I read, like, The Witch of Blackbird Pond um, about a, a young woman in Puritan, New England, who's put on trial for witchcraft. Um, Johnny Tremaine, I read that one. Yeah, yeah. Which is a book I really love. I've, I read that <laughs> so one so many kid. times. Yeah, yeah, I read it to death. <laughs> just like, just like wonderful novels. Um, I really read widely as a kid. Like, I didn't have a genre that I fixated on. I read whatever people gave me. Um, and I read the cereal box, nothing else. So I think it's important to like, 
really try different things. I like the Goosebumps series when I was little. Mm -hmm. I love scary stories. Um, I don't know, I had so many books. The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, for that one. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I met um, Avi at a, at a book event in Brattleboro, Vermont, and I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> oh. And he was like, oh, hey. <laughs> Does this okay. must happen all the time to you? <laughs> I mean, oh. I, I also I met some more peers at a, at, a, at New York Comic Con this year, and mm -hmm. um, and just like we were on a panel, and the whole panel was full of women my age who were just like incredible fans of hers, and just yeah. like hanging on her words, and she was just so she has so much wisdom to dispense. Like she's older now, and she. Like when she was writing her books, like no one was writing fantasy about like girl heroes. Like mm -hmm. no way. Like, they were they were maidens and towers, and it was the men who were like riding the horses. And yeah. she changed that for us, and just like, oh man, so admire awesome. her so much. Yeah. Um, that was like when I was younger. I really love historical fiction. Um, my favorite authors are um, Dorothy Dunnett. Nobody ever reads, but I. I I have you read. I have a confession. Oh my god. Um, no, I follow you on Instagram, oh, and so I yeah. saw your post I, about oh the my, Lyman Chronicles, oh and I was god. like, that looks awesome. I, <laughs> I, have, I, I literally, I'm like a pusher. I try to like get people to read those books. I want people to fangirl over them, because there's like really a very so small and very like passionate Dorothy Dunnett fandom, because mm -hmm. she's, she's brilliant and really hard to read. Mm -hmm. Like, like, she makes you like think about what a character's doing and why like every second, and she'll often trick you anyway. <gasps> I love it. <laughs> Have you gotten to the Spanish nobleman yet? No, not yet. Okay, like, once I'm... you get to the Spanish nobleman and figure out who the Spanish nobleman is, uh -huh. that's when you're either like hooked or you're done. That's okay. the spot where it's okay. like, oh, what, what? And you're like, Ooh, I can't oh. wait. <laughs> oh my God. So I, I love her books. Um, and she's one of those writers who doesn't, she doesn't give the audience anything. Like she makes you work for get it. to her level and like work for yes. it. And if you get there and like, and like, and, and you're with her, and you're like, it's like astonishing. Mm -hmm. um, and and I love that. It's unfashionable a little bit nowadays to like have a, a be be so demanding to your readers. But yeah, I really admire. Her. I love Patrick O'Brien. Okay. Um, the Aubrey Maturin books were mm -hmm. my favorites. Um, I loved Horatio Hornblower as a kid, but Aubrey Maturin is like. Hornblower, but way more sophisticated. So mm -hmm. I love those. Um, Mary Renault is a huge favorite. She writes books set in um, the ancient world, like ancient Greece. Okay. Um, my favorite of hers is called The King Must Die. It's a retelling of the Theseus myth, mm. but set in a historical setting um, with like real events instead of like magic and gods, but sort of the presence of like the divine. Like it's, it's it's hard to explain, but it's fantastic. It book. sounds awesome. It's really really good. And she's a beautiful writer, um, and she um, she was gay herself, and um, she was writing in the 50s and 60s. And um, in order to be able to write um, like authentic, like gay love stories, she set all her books in the ancient world where it was like it's history. Yeah. So nobody like judged her for it, and she writes these like beautiful romances um, between men and between women, and. Um, and yeah, and she was doing it like back in the day when it was like not a thing yeah. um, for, for writers. And so I really admire that. It's very brave. Books. She was brave and also just like a wonderful writer, mm -hmm. like legit, just a, a powerful, beautiful wordsmith and um, kind of recreates the feel of like ancient Greece, which mm -hmm. is great. So love her. Those are some favorites. <laughs> I like books. <laughs> Go on for a while. I have some recommendations that I can take now. <laughs> yes. Um, 
what would you say has been the most formative experience in leading you to write? Because you've kind of yeah. lived this really amazing, crazy life. I wrote, I love to write. Like, I, I, I wrote part of a novel in high school, just like, you know, messing around. It was, wasn't very good. It was about dragons. Um, I think ice dragons. Was, uh, um. <laughs> you could revisit it. Like. I, I was thinking about it, like, should I take it out of my old hard drive and, like, see what it's like? Then I'm like, eh, let that one just, like, <laughs> gently rest. Um, but, but I, um, Honestly, I I finished college and I was and I was a little burnt out. Like I had been I'd been working really hard. I was all about sort of a serious career. And I I asked myself like like what is it for? Like what am I running towards? And it was the first time I'd asked myself that question. And my answer was I'm not sure. Like what do I really want? And the reason I went to Hawaii, really, was because I wanted to understand what I wanted out of life mm -hmm. before, like, embarking. And I feel like oftentimes we're encouraged to just, like, race from, like, school to college to career, like, mm -hmm. as fast as you can, and then get married and have kids, and, like, you don't look up or stop, like, grinding away until you're, like, 50, mm -hmm. and your kids are grown. And I wanted to, to take a minute and, like, wait. And so, like, I lived in a tent and a farm in Hawaii, and I had this like time to get bored, you know, like picking coffee and thinking all day. And um, that I think what led me to picking out fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess my answer would be like taking time to pause and doing something unexpected and, and having time to think and like ask yourself these big questions about like what you want out of life is so important to me. And um, it's surprising how often we're not encouraged to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, like don't stop, don't like leave like the treadmill. You know. Yeah. Um, you have to be safe. Like, yeah, like take like the safe the career, safe choices, like yeah. like like make the like you know get the job, keep on the job. And the thing about today is like having a job is no guarantee you'll you'll have like a career or have like even even a viable income mm -hmm. like, like it's a difficult time to be a working person in this country yeah and um and i think it's better to at least if you have a passion you want to pursue like find the mental space to pursue it so i guess that's my answer is like really, really ask yourself what you want yeah you know and if it's something that you're not supposed to want like Maybe chase it anyway. <laughs> Despite how weird it is. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, these days, mm. what does your writing process, like, what does your average day of writing look like? When I'm drafting, mm -hmm. um, I have a word count goal. I write 2,000 words a day. Um, Word count goals I find are better than time goals because like time you can get away you can wait, wait, get away from you you can like be like oh Facebook oh right and, you, like, and then hours gone away and it's mm -hmm. like so word count goals like keep you more focused. Um, I usually get up and work out or like run um, something like physical which helps you focus. I mm -hmm. find it really does. Um, and then I'll start and like sometimes it takes me like an hour or two to get my words done. Sometimes it takes me like all day, depending on how the writing's going. Mm -hmm. But I don't like stop until I've written my words. And then I'll usually go out and do something fun in the afternoon, evening, make dinner with my housemates. Um, 
rinse and repeat. When I'm when I'm editing, I can get much more crazy. I'll I'll like um, I'll put in 10 or 15 hour days, just like like yeah. in in the space, and that can be really tiring. And I get kind of kind of grumpy, and um, I'll bite people's heads off and. <laughs> Housemates will start whispering. I think she's editing now. Don't say anything. I'll like tiptoe around the house. Cause I'll be terrible. They'll be like, "Hey," I'll be like, "Go away." I'll be like, "I'll be like, okay." Want dinner? No. So when you're drafting, mm -hmm. you just kind of like let the words flow. You do. Drafting is just like drafting is just a big chunk of words it's like mm -hmm. like one of the biggest mistakes people make is they try to make their draft good mm -hmm. um, and they don't get it out because they'll like stop you know 10 pages in like oh it's terrible and and so much self like yeah. correction yeah, and, yeah 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 don't edit your draft don't reread your draft don't think <laughs> about how bad your draft is if your draft goes in a weird direction like if aliens land and your regency romance fine just like keep going you know like get the words on the page it's yeah. like the most important thing for a writer because you can't fix nothing that's true you know and you often don't know like the point of your book or like the what it needs to look like until the entire thing is done or written mm -hmm. on the page so so as far as like getting a book to completion the best thing to do is like don't think don't judge don't reread don't freak out just like keep adding words to your draft and I think that's probably one of the hardest things for people is because you you want that yeah. draft to be good mm -hmm. um, so you keep like editing mm -hmm. it as you're going yeah. the thing is you don't know how it needs to look until you've got the end like got the whole like process like on the page mm -hmm. and so yeah. so editing it before it's finished is like a waste it's truly no a waste point. of time yeah truly a waste of time yeah. um oftentimes like pen drafting will help a draft by pen okay frequently um because you're less tempted to reread and correct your like, like so like um, notebook drafting is really a good way to not have to you know do it again. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of the most important thing for writers. Don't stop. Don't quit. Like don't reread. Just like just keep going. Everyone's draft suck. Like Neil Gaiman's draft suck. Like everyone's draft suck. I guarantee you. Like 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 J.K. Rowling's first draft of like Harry Potter book four. I'm sure sucked. Like you know, it's just the way it is, and then you fix it. Okay, what's your favorite Harry Potter book? Book four. Why? Because the final scene where Voldemort comes back in the graveyard is just fantastic. Mm. Like. Like, it's, I think, by far the scene that brings the most drama for me in the series. Um, I, um, also, also, book three is a run-up for me, President mm -hmm. of Azkaban, because, like, there's an emotional content to, like, it's, like, serious and yeah. Harry's relationship that I loved. Um, book five? I felt a little bit like there was wasted potential in book five, because there was mm -hmm. so many... There was so much potential for drama between like Dumbledore and Snape and Harry mm -hmm. that I think might have needed like an extra draft to like get to like the the big moments. Yeah. But no, she rushed that one out. Um, she said in interviews herself. And um, I love book seven, but I they spent a lot of time in the woods arguing. <laughs> and that's probably authentic for teenagers, but <sighs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so that's my. What about you? Uh, I. I, I love them all. I think the second is probably my least favorite, um, but I have very distinct mm -hmm. memories of um, 
like I was fighting reading them. Um, I didn't want to read them because I was being obs- a, an obstinate teenager. I was like, I'm too cool for those. Yeah, what's the big deal? Why is everybody freaking out oh, about these books? But I was in, so you're familiar with UIL, right? Because mm-hmm. you grew up in Texas. Um, so I was in literary criticism, mm-hmm. and the book that year was Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept refusing to read the book, and then we went to our first contest, and I placed like six. And mm-hmm. my teacher looked at the scores, and she was like, if you had gotten the Harry Potter answers right, you would have gotten first. Read the damn book. You know, like, so, so funny. Um, I read it. Harry Potter refused yeah, me. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I read it that weekend, like, cover to cover mm-hmm. a Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and just loved it. Like, and oh, was like, that's why everyone's like, so excited. Yeah. yeah. I also just love that it's gotten kids yeah. to read and, like, So many kids online. cracked books of Harry Potter. Yeah. It's insane. And adults, too. And grown-ups. Like, yeah, I have, yeah, yeah, I have a friend who was, like, not a reader mm-hmm. growing up and then in her early 20s she finally picked up Harry Potter and then it was like she couldn't stop it was was really cool I heard Victoria I was on a panel with Victoria Schwab Mm -hmm. fantasy author and she said the same thing like she wasn't a reader as a kid and then she read Harry Potter when she was like 11 and then like it like like got her going now she's a writer so yeah so crazy that's like an amazing thing yeah those books did for such a great phenomenon yeah um okay I'm trying to like uh, after you finish the Winter Night trilogy, mm-hmm. I know you talked about working on a young adult novel. How's that going? I have a middle grade series going. Um, I sold the first one. I sold two this summer to a different publisher, um, and the first of those is coming out next August. Um, it's called Small Spaces. It's like middle grade horror. Um, there are ghosts and evil scarecrows and other other. Evil scarecrows? Oh, yeah, scarecrows are so scary. Yeah. Imagine them walking around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, that's... And there's going to be a second one, too. And hopefully more. I I love writing ghost stories. Um, But, so that's kind of my other thing going right now. And I'd love to do another series for adults Mm -hmm. once I finish Wednesday night, the ones I'm doing now. Is there another genre that you'd like to try? I would love to do a straight, like something set contemporary, like a straight thriller, maybe mm-hmm. with some fantasy elements. But um, I'd love to do historical fiction, like like straight historical fiction with no fantasy. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Um, I'd love to do a romance novel, just because like kind of fun, right? Just, like, yeah. Go for it. Um, there's so many genres I'd like to try. Yeah. I, I would love to do a literary, like like a literary fiction novel, like you know play it more straight I'd love to try like a full on fantasy with like you know other world mm-hmm. um, like epic kind of thing oh there's so many so many things to write <laughs> <laughs> you need a lifetime to write all of them I just would love to like be able to keep writing books and and well, I write you're, widely you're on a you're on the right track you're doing pretty well for yourself so far it's so good um Okay, so I have to ask. Um, I would love to see the Winter Night trilogy like translated into film. Um, do you have any artists that you would like to see like bring those characters to life? Um, cool. Well, I have a huge, huge appreciation for Guillermo del Toro because I love Pan's Labyrinth. It's one of my favorite films. And that would be also, such a great combination. I also love Love's other work, too. Mm-hmm. So um, I really want to see The Shape of Water, which just came out, and it looks amazing. Um, so, because I feel like he he's one of the few 
um, directors who manages to mix the fantastical and the realistic mm -hmm. successfully and have each one inform the other instead of having it be like kind of a weird, uneasy like kind of pairing. Mm -hmm. um, and I also love his his female characters. I think he does a great job with um, young women. So I would love to see him do a Brand Night Gale, but I that'd mean, be amazing. Dream casting, right? <laughs> <laughs> the the dream that'd be cool. But I I mean, it's hard. Like, ha having your book end up a film is like such a fraught process, mm -hmm. and like some authors are very happy with how it turns out. Other times they're like, like, oh, my book, like, what yeah. happened? So it's just you kind of gotta like let it go and see where it takes you. It's hard to like, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. Yeah, so, yeah. Kind of where I'm on that. Okay, I have one more question for okay. you. Um, and thank you again so much uh, for welcome. doing this. Wait, I have two two questions. I'm okay. sorry. Okay. Uh, so you have studied French and Russian. Do you also read in those languages, or do you take a break from it? Um, um, I read often in French. I really mm -hmm. enjoy novels in French. Um, I used to read more in Russian. Um, now I mostly read news in Russian, mm -hmm. or like commentary on social media. Um, I haven't read like a full book in Russian in a while now. Um, French is like... I spent a lot of time in France after I graduated. I did a year teaching in the Alps, mm -hmm. and the French is kind of like kind of close to my heart. Um, and oftentimes, I enjoy how a novel sounds in French mm -hmm. more. So I guess that's that's where I am on those two: um, Russian for the news, French for fiction. So I have a recommendation for you okay. if you haven't read it yet. Okay. Um, Alexander Dumas mm -hmm. had a book called The Journal of Madame Giovanni. What? I read that one. I think you would love it. Really? Because How it's, this, cool. it's this young woman, and okay. she, she uh, marries this Italian merchant, mm -hmm. and they go traveling all mm -hmm. over the world. So they start out in like Australia, and then they go around to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And apparently, the descriptions of Hawaii mm -hmm. are like it hasn't changed really at all cool. in the time between. So I, I think that would be really, really, really splendid. Love it. Um, Mark Twain went to Hawaii and wrote about it. He wrote Mark, really cool essays about like Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. He's, he's so a great good. travel writer. Like he's legit a fantastic travel yeah. writer. Yeah. Um, but I, I think okay. you would like yeah. that one. Um, and she also like, goes to California. journals of Madame Giovanni. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's available in French. So. Oh, how fabulous! Um, and English, but um, I think if you're able to read it in the French, you should. Do original it. language is good. <laughs> I read um, "The Shadow of the Wind" um, by oh. Carlos Rizafon, translated into French from Spanish. And it was like beautiful. Oh my god! I loved that book. Oh my god, that book! Wow! And it makes like, me wish I could read Spanish, so I could. I mean, it made me wish I could read Spanish, but the, the, the French did such a good job. I, I didn't read in English, but the French was also fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was like, it's like this the whole time. Like, what's mm -hmm. going on? And it was so like, like he goes for it, like the full-on drama, like the big moments, like does not flinch, and it's like it's fantastic. Such a beautiful book. Done it has that quality as well, and in the Lyman Chronicles, like she'll just like reach for that big, like huge moment and and, and nail it. Um, there's a human chess game in book third, four, no, in book four. Yeah. Where the characters, like the the main character's mortal enemy, are playing like chess, and each person has like a board of their friends. And if a piece is taken, they die. And it's just like it would seem like like that's melodramatic, but like in the moment, it's like yeah, it's like so intense. 
It's great. Yeah. So yeah, I can't wait to get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's four books in, so yeah, I like the series, but but um, yeah. I like the thought of a book that makes you think and that you have to like work for the reward. Especially Game of Kings. Like once you get towards the end, you start re-examining every single scene with Lyman's um, from the beginning, and you start like seeing how the book was structured and fit together and it and unless you're like the sharpest reader ever she will surprise you and be like, oh, that's what <laughs> what um how'd she do that oh my god <laughs> she's so good at misdirection um i was i was on this panel with tamora pierce and or people someone asked like on the q a like what's your favorite books and i'm like well i'm in chronicles so i always try to push them because they're not read enough and tamora pierce turns she's like you too? <laughs> and I'm like, and we had this moment, it's like, oh my god. Oh, that's so cool. It's an article on NPR saying that Lyman is like the Velvet Underground. Like, not many folks have read them, but everyone who did wrote a novel. And I think it's true. It's like this like so weird book secret. It's kind of awesome. Small, obsessed group of people trying to figure out Dunnett's like methods. But everyone else just like, what are these books? Yeah. Okay, so this brings me to my last question. Uh, which is, if you could spend the day with any author, living or dead, um, who would it be and what would you do? Oh my god. Honestly, probably Dorothy Dunnett. She died, and I think she died in the early 90s, so I would never get to meet her, but she... I mean, I just, I just love her books. Like, I read everything she's written, and I love them so much, and... And I would probably just want to walk around the moor in Scotland and talk about writing, like, and ask her annoying questions like, "How did you do that? <laughs> like, and why did you do that?" Like, like. Also, there's a couple of, of like enduring questions in the Lyman Chronicles, um, like that she indicated the answer and in an interview should be like well it's obvious in the text if you read and but no everyone's like really and like reading and like no one's quite like been able to agree uh -huh. like a, a couple of really important questions about like like who was whose parent or like who killed who and I want to ask her like okay you're here right now tell me <laughs> tell me the actual answers to these questions that they've been bothering like me for years <laughs> And you could have, you know, you could have the official answer. And have the actual answer. Like, like, no, she said in our day that we spent together. Yeah, no, I know the answer. Probably she'd be like, no, you didn't read closely enough. And I'd be like, I've read the book like 18 times. I'm just dumb. It's true. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. So, yeah. Well, thank you so, thank you so much. much. Or it was nice this to meet been you. Wonderful. I'm really glad this worked out. Me too. Just for sure. Um, the kids are going to be really excited I'm so to glad. hear their answer, you oh, know, hear so their glad. questions answered. That's great. Um, I'm gonna... no. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Arden. Uh, quick note, the questions of the students referred to were the first few questions that I was able to compile from a list sent in by uh, the students at my high school who are part of the literary magazine. So aspiring young writers, I'm, I'm so excited that they got a chance to ask their questions. Also, another quick note, I almost titled this episode Catherine the Great because she's pretty great, but she demurred uh, because she's also humble. Um, 
And apparently it's still not okay, even if somebody else says it. So uh, once again, Catherine Arden, if you hear this, thank you so much for your words and your time. And everybody else, you need to read her books. They are amazing. Thanks again for listening to Blue Stocking.